the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Hello, hello. Welcome to All of Us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show. My name is Seth Fertelny. Joining me today is Goal's Women's Soccer Correspondent, Amy Ruskai. Amy, hey, how's it going? For the first time, I think we're both well-rested today, I think. Absolutely. I'm, I'm still a little bitter at the U.S. for losing that semifinal and forcing me to wake up at 4 a.m. one more time for the bronze medal game, but today's gold medal game was at a nice 8 a.m. start. Very, I mean, it was it was 1 p.m. here, so I mean, you could basically sleep all morning and then just roll out of bed, eat some lunch, and I mean, this is not what I did, but, you know, could have done if I'd have wanted to. Absolutely. We will talk about that gold medal game in which Canada defeated Sweden in a penalty shootout a little bit later. Before we get to that, though, we do need to dissect the U.S.'s 4-3 win over Australia in the bronze medal game. The U.S. came out in this match kind of the way that we had been hoping to see them all tournament, really. Rapino, of course, scores her second Olympico at the Olympics after scoring from a corner kick directly in 2012 against Canada in the semifinal. This one, she did insist after the game she meant it, um, and it really did look like she she was kind of aiming for that far corner, so just really an outstanding finish from her. The U.S. ends up getting an, another goal from her off of a, a mistaken clearance from Alana Kennedy, even though they give up a goal to, to Australia after a, a mistake in the back. Tierna Davidson's pass intercepted. Sam Kerr ends up finishing. Uh, it really does look like the U.S. is cruising to a, a bronze medal win after Carly Lloyd scores a couple goals to make it 4-1. to one. She scored that first one right before halftime. That was kind of the killer goal. And then the one that she scores after the break makes it look like it's going to be an easy finish for the U.S., but instead there was a bit of a nervy finish. Australia scored a couple more goals, the second of which was a a long-range goal from Gelnick, and all of a sudden there was a a nervy finish. But the U.S. did manage to hold on. Uh, They win 4-3. to Uh, Amy, what were your uh, impressions from from that match? I think it was like, this is the pressing that, everybody had expected to see from the US all tournament and when they were like their most tired in this the final of what six games in 16 days or something they were like pressing like really well I think Rapino talked about it after the game where it was just kind of like we could have gone out there and played as badly as we have been playing or we could go out there and play well and win a medal and it felt like it was that sort of attitude that you'd been waiting for the US to sort of apply the whole tournament where they just went right we actually need to like turn up and show who we are and play like world champions and it felt like they they did that I mean by the, the defending which has just been I mean to be fair the defending has not existed in any capacity for most of the tournament so it was kind of just in fitting I guess this this game with the tournament is just crazy 100 mile an hour Tons of goals and no defending. Yeah, I think after the U.S. lost to Canada in that semifinal, when we looked at this bronze medal game, maybe some of us were thinking, oh, this is a consolation game. It's not that important. Maybe the U.S. will completely rotate their squad. But as the game approached, I think 
it really at least dawned on me how important this game was for the U.S. The the, the difference between ending the tournament with back-to-back defeats and no medals versus ending the tournament with a win and a medal, I think was huge just for the team and also for Vlako Andonovsky in terms of the amount of pressure on his job. So with that said, the starting lineup was basically the kind of team we might have expected to see the U.S. play if it were a gold medal game. There, there wasn't really a lot of rotation. We didn't really see some players like Katarina Macario or Christy Mewis or Casey Kruger, who hadn't seen the field much, get the start like we thought that they might. Um, how important was it for the U.S. to to win this game and to end the tournament on a high and to end with a medal? I think it's big because it's big for Andonovsky to come out with a medal from the Olympics. We said this in the last show with Hope. An Olympic medal is an Olympic medal. Not many people win an Olympic medal, so to win one is a big deal. Even if it's not gold like the US expected to win or wanted to win or usually win, the fact that they win a medal is big for sort of like, okay, now we need to go home and look back over how we can then turn this into reaching a final and winning a title with this team, with this coach, with this sort of new era. It's a nice positive because... If they don't win that medal, like the negativity that you go home with, having like pushed through the heat, the humidity, the horrible, intense schedule, and to come out of that with nothing and not a lot of positives must put you on a downer. Like, at least for Australia, I know they came forth, but there's so much for them to be positive about. I think for the US to come out with a, with a medal, at least, is a positive thing that they can now look at what they need to do to build on it going forward. Yeah, the U.S. attack just really returned to form in this game, led by Rapino and Lloyd, each scoring two goals. But again, those defensive issues cropped up uh, in ways that, that we're not used to seeing from this team. You know, they played 12 games in 2021 leading up to the Olympics, and they had clean sheets in all but one of those. And then in this Olympics, they gave up 10 goals over the course of six games. And again, there were just kind of basic errors leading to goals. Tierna Davidson, who we've mentioned as having a really good tournament, had a pretty simple giveaway that led to to Sam Kerr's opener. After Australia got that second goal to make it 4-2, there was a moment where Kerr almost scored her second and hit the post. And that would have made it 4-3 with about 30 minutes left. And and that could have been an entirely different game. You know, Australia did eventually get that third goal, but it was a little too late. At the same time, you kind of felt like if there was another five to 10 minutes of extra time tacked on, Australia probably would have found that equalizing goal. Why was it that the U.S. struggled so much in, in the back at this tournament and, and, and what could be done to, to try to shore that up moving forward. I would like to see the US play more competitive friendlies. They do have the She Believes Cup and that's usually quite highly competitive and has got big teams in, but I think to give this team really good preparation of playing these really good teams, like the the little summer series in June was the right idea by playing games like in a pretty short space of time, different sort of opponents, but they weren't really high-class opponents. They weren't as good as as a Sweden or an Australia or even a Canada, you know, who obviously the US beat a lot but ended up winning the gold medal. So I think that's one thing that maybe the US can look at. But I think there were a lot of factors as the tournament went on. I think if you're looking at this bronze medal match in isolation, 
you know, you're looking at the fact that you don't have a listener, you have a an inexperienced AD French in the net, and not to say she, you know, completely is disorganised and doesn't make the defence work, but it is different when you're used to having one keeper behind you all the time when you're playing for your country and you have somebody totally different for a game like that. You know, obviously there was rotation in the back and didn't have Julie Ertz at full fitness and things like this. And But I think the fact that Ertz and obviously Dal Kemper didn't have a great tournament and Davidson played in this game, I think the fact that Ertz played and Davidson played showed that the issue is not just sort of a personnel thing. Is this just something that needs to be worked on more under Vlatko? Because like I say, the games that he's sort of done it in have mainly been lesser teams being the opposition. So I don't know if that's the fact to it. It didn't seem like a simple, obvious thing or even a confidence thing after conceding three goals against Sweden and then you start giving the weight ball away sloppily. So I think it could be a combination of things, to be honest. Yeah, one player in the back that we've seen the U.S. still really relies upon is, is Becky Sauerbrunn, the captain. But she is 36 now, and it's unclear what her future is going to be with the national team. So I want to take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk about Sauerbrunn as well as Carly Lloyd and Megan Rapino, some of the comments they made after the Australia game, what their future might be with the national team and, and what they're going to look like going forward. So stick with us and we will be back after this. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL on Goal. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Find more U.S. Women's Soccer news and opinion on Goal. All right, welcome back to All of Us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show Before we get into some of the U.S.'s veteran players and what their futures may be, I want to talk about Amy's tournament best 11. Uh, Now that the tournament is over, we can kind of take a full look at the picture of of who performed the best at the Olympics. And we've spoken about this a little bit before, Amy, as to whether any U.S. players would make it into that best 11. Uh, It was an idea that before the tournament would be pretty unthinkable that there wouldn't be one American player who was in the best 11 in the Olympics. But I think now it's a very real question as to whether any of them deserved a spot. Are there any players that, that you're looking at as a, a good bet to, to make that best 11, Amy? The only the only sort of players that, that kind of came to mind when, when looking at who's performed well, you were looking at Tina Davidson, obviously had such a good tournament, but then... You look at, for example, like Canada's defence or Sweden's defence in this tournament who have been brilliant. Like Canada in particular have been so good defensively. It's like, do you know, is anybody really going to get in there over a, a Canadian defender? I think other than that, it was like Alyssa Nair had some big moments saving penalties, but we've seen a lot of poor penalties in this tournament. I know Hope the other day was saying like, you know, you expect Alyssa to be saving some of those penalties and wanting her to do a bit more. There were some goals that this tournament she could have done a little bit better with. Other than that, you were looking and thinking, like, who actually in this US team has put their hand up and said, I've been one of the best players at this tournament? Realistically, I couldn't really think of any. I mean, obviously, Carly Lloyd and Megan Rapino ended on a high, but hadn't really been firing before that. And Lynn Williams looked great whenever she played, but she didn't play much. I mean... For me, it was it was kind of difficult looking at the US team and trying to pick out star performers across the entire tournament rather than just from the actual US team. I mean, I don't know about you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, 
There are only two players on the U.S. roster who scored more than one goal at the tournament, and that was Lloyd and Rapino, and they didn't score until the bronze medal game. And so it's hard to really say they deserve to be in that best 11 based on those those goals they scored against Australia when for the rest of the tournament, they had some moments, but didn't really show their quality for extended periods of time. And also when you look at assists, there's only one player that had more than one assist. And that was Julie Ertz who got two assists against New Zealand. I think Ertz based on her tournament, maybe one of the only U S players who could potentially get into the best 11. Although, you know, she probably wasn't at full strength. Uh, but I do want to touch on Lloyd and Rapino a little bit because they both spoke after the Australia game about their future. Uh, Rapino, 36, Lloyd, 39. I think the general speculation is that neither of them will play another major tournament for the U.S. Megan Rapino had some interesting comments, basically saying that she would need to speak with her partner, Sue Bird, who is still playing and is 40. She's a, a basketball player, but she's still she's still doing it for the Seattle Storm and the U.S. team. And so uh, I wonder if if there's any chance that, that we could see Rapino for the U.S. Uh, moving forward. I think that her comments were sort of more open than Lloyd's comments. I think she sort of was like more open about the future and continuing to play. You know, she was asked about whether she'd want to be at that World Cup because obviously it's two years away now rather than three. And she was like, yeah, like, you know, I love playing for this team. And this is the thing with Lloyd and Rapino. You don't look at them and think you look like you're at the end of your career. Like, it's only when you sort of look at their age that you think, oh, kind of coming towards the end of your career. There's like no sort of obvious massive drop off or like the inability to keep up or lacking fitness or anything like that. So it's really difficult to know, I think. I think Rapino, like I say, because her comments after the game were great. If anybody's not seen them, go look them up because it was just like, you know, me and Sue need to have that conversation because I don't want her going on holiday if, if I'm still playing and she's retired. But yeah, I think I think the door's very much still open for Rapino. That's what it sounded like in, in what she said after the game anyway. Yeah, definitely. And when you talk about players who are not showing their age, I think Carly Lloyd also has to be pretty high on that list because... She has consistently said that she feels as fit as she ever has at age 39. And everybody who has followed Carly's career knows that this is a player who is singularly dedicated to getting the most out of her ability. And she has done that consistently, even as she's reached her mid to upper 30s. But it did sound, like you said, more like Lloyd was was ready to call it quits. Um, she said at the post-game press conference, obviously I'm at the tail end of my career. Physically, I feel really good, but at some point I have to hang up the boots and live life. Uh, you know, Hope talked about this a little bit on the last show as well, that that, that Carly's kind of ready to move on to a, a new chapter of her life after being a soccer player for so long. But, you know, again, we saw this year that, she can still do a job for the national team. You know, she led the team in assists in 2021. Um, she tied for the lead in goals at the Olympics, although that wasn't a huge feat with two. But uh, it does sound like she's ready to, to hang them up. And if she does, that it was a, a fitting game for her 
to finish with because she notched a couple of individual milestones. Uh, she became the U.S.'s top scorer at the Olympics with her 10th goal. And then she also became the second most capped player in the history of international soccer with her 312th appearance. Yeah, and I think it is just that, what Hope was saying about there is another chapter to your life. Like, you don't have to play football for forever, even if you feel like you can play football forever. Because, you know, it is a lot of dedication. Like, it's your life, basically. Your entire life becomes that. And at a point, you do have to kind of go, well, I would enjoy not having to, you know, maybe wake up at 5am every day and, and, you know, put myself out doing all this fitness work and everything. So... Yeah, I mean, I think for Carly, it will be when she feels ready to move on rather than feeling like I'm out of my depth or, you know, I'm not fit enough. Like it doesn't, that's not really going to be the, the case. That is, I cannot see that being the case at all. I think it will just be whenever she is mentally ready to move on. Yeah. And I want to also touch on Becky Sauerbrunn, who is 36, but just like Carly Lloyd and Megan Rapino hasn't really shown a ton of signs of of slowing down. In fact, I would argue that her importance to this team has only grown in recent years. You know, she was just named the team's permanent captain this year. So I think the conventional wisdom is that Sauerbrunn might choose to step away at the end of this tournament as well. But I also think that seeing her at the next World Cup at age 38 wouldn't be completely out of the question because she's still so important to the team, both in terms of her on-field play, her organization of the back line, but also her locker room presence and, and what she brings to the team with her experience and her calm head and her ability to get everybody on the same page. And so I'm not entirely convinced that that we've seen the last of Becky Sauerbrunn. You know, Amy, like you said, there's also some off the field stuff that might be drawing her away just when she gets to the point where she's ready to do something different. But I think if, if Sauerbrunn decided to to keep going, I don't know if, if she is at the level where she is going to be displaced quite yet. Yeah, and I think one of the big things that must be on the minds of these players that are considering this is if I play to the next World Cup in two years, realistically, I'm not going to want to then call it quits because there's going to be an Olympics one year out. So basically, you are looking and saying, I'm going to play for three more years, especially because these players have just won a bronze and they're going to want to try and go out on a high with a gold if they're that close to another Olympic Games. Um, Like, we've seen so many defenders in men's and women's football and, you know, lots in this US team sort of really go on until, you know, 40 and above. Not to say it's not a strenuous position to play, but it is sort of a less demanding, I guess, position in a way. So it can appeal to defenders, I guess, to stay more. Plus the experience is so valuable in a centre-back like partnership. Um, and yeah, I think her importance to the team is so big and she just constantly looks so solid. It's like, right, OK, who are you going to replace Becky Sauerbrunn with? especially with the defensive issues they've been having. You know, the next more senior centre-back that they've got in there with that experience, Dahlkemper, didn't have a great tournament. You're not really looking at this tournament and thinking, oh, the solution is not to have Becky Sauerbrunn. That is the That will create so many bigger problems. There are so many great young attacking players making their waves in the NWSL, showing that they can step up now to be there if 
Lloyd or Rapino or someone, someone hangs up their boots. I don't know if there is that commanding, reliable, brilliant captain ready to step in if Salbrum wanted to hang up her boots. I'm not sure that's there quite yet. Yeah, and, and, and one theme that we've returned to over and over again following this team over the years is that seniority means a lot. And if players want to keep going, typically they will be allowed to at least try to keep their spot. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about Andonovsky maybe being reluctant to to tell some of his more veteran players that it's time for them to sit on the bench for an extended period of time. And so I do wonder if there's going to be a point where there's some kind of a conflict between a senior player saying, I want to stick around and Andonovsky saying, well, I'm not going to let you stick around. It's over. Um, so that will definitely be something that we follow as this, this tournament ends and we look forward to the next cycle. Uh, but before we do that, we do need to talk about the gold medal match between Sweden and Canada, Canada winning on penalties. And we will do that when we come back here on All of Us. All of Us, the U.S. women's soccer show from Goal. Find more U.S. women's soccer news and opinion on Goal. The U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL on Goal. All right, welcome back to all of us. Let's talk about the gold medal match. Canada takes home the gold. It was a result that I don't think many of us saw coming leading up to the tournament. I don't think many of us saw coming even leading up to this game because Sweden had been so dominant at this tournament, winning five of their five matches leading up into this match. But Canada, as they have done throughout this tournament, was pretty successful at frustrating Sweden for long stretches of the game. And to be honest, Sweden also were their own worst enemy at times. They had so many chances to find the winning goal, especially late on in regulation and an extra time. And then in the penalty shootout, they had chances to to put it away as well. Uh, no more notable than Caroline Sager, who stepped up with a chance to win the gold medal and, and blazed over. Amy, what were your impressions of this game and how surprised were you to see Canada win it all? I think I liked the way Canada approached the game compared to when I've watched them in the rest of the tournament, because in the rest of the tournament, they have been quite defensive. And no, that is their strength. At the end of the day, you play to your strengths. Um, and their defence has been absolutely fantastic all tournament. Stephanie Labbe's had an amazing tournament in goal. But you're always left wanting more with Canada in the sense of their performance because of these creative players they have, Nichelle Prince, you know, obviously Christine Sinclair. Jesse Fleming played really well today. But today they actually came out and they were like, right, OK, we can't just sit here and park the bus and try and win a gold medal. We're going to have to actually try and win the gold medal. And they did, and I liked that, and it made for a better game. The way that Sweden has been playing the whole tournament, there were very few people, I think, that were going, Canada will win this game. Although the more the game went on, it was like, oh, Canada are going to win this game. Like, it was almost written in the stars for them to do it the way that it went on. Yeah, definitely. In the first half, Sweden gets on the board first through Cena Blackstinius, and you kind of thought, all right, this is what we expected, and now Sweden's going to push on, and they're going to kind of cruise. But in the second half... I think we saw Canada kind of push back and, and have 
a little bit stronger performance, at least in an attacking sense. And that led to uh, another penalty from Jesse Fleming. And, and just like we saw in the semifinal with the U.S., Christine Sinclair gets the ball, hands it off, a metaphorical handing of the torch to Jesse Fleming, their big young star. And just like we saw against the U.S., Fleming with ice in her veins scores the penalty and gives Canada the the tying goal. Yeah, and I've been really happy to see Jesse Fleming sort of get that attention in the last couple of games especially because she's such a good player. I remember watching her at the 2015 World Cup and just being like, I think she was 17 at the time and it, she played like she was 10 years older than that. Um, so it's, yeah, she had sort of a difficult, not a difficult season even with Chelsea this year, but she's been settling into a new team in a pandemic in a new country, massive squad and hadn't played that much. But I think this can be like a springboard for her going into the new season. I think that we could see her having an amazing season with Chelsea. My favourite thing about her scoring this penalty today was then once the game kicked back off, um, within like, I don't know, 10 seconds of Sweden restarting the game, Fleming had got on the ball again. She just casually sort of nutmegged Caroline Sager, one of the greatest midfielders of all time. It was just as cool as the way that she took... The penalty in the US game, the penalty in this game, and the penalty in the shootout. She, yeah, she was absolutely brilliant today. Yeah, Sweden, after Canada scored that goal, kind of got back on the front foot, and you thought that they might be able to win it in regulation. And then certainly in extra time as well, they had so many chances. There was a, a goal mouth scramble where they nearly scored. Uh, Lena Hertig had an open header from about six or eight yards out that she just put way wide. How close were they to to winning this before the shootout and how much are they going to rue those chances? Yeah, there were so many chances. Aslani had a big chance sort of one-on-one. She could have squared it to Black Senias, but she, I mean, really, she probably should have scored it herself. Um, There was like Hannah Benison had this header and it was really annoying because you didn't get to see a replay of it, but it like, it must have hit like the wrong part of her head or something or like, I don't know what happened because it looked for all the world like that was going in and then it just, for some way of physics, didn't go in. Didn't get the replay to tell me why. But they just had so many chances. and I mean, Canada had quite a few as well. It just became so open at certain points and it was just so tense. I mean, I would have hated to have been Swedish or Canadian at that moment because it was so tense and like can't imagine sort of nerves of not being a neutral watching that game because it was, you couldn't call it. You could not call it. Yeah, the, the, the tension and also the fatigue, I think, were just so apparent in that penalty shootout. It was so clear that both of these teams had just played six games in 16 days in sweltering heat and humidity of the of the Japanese summer. And it just seemed like they didn't really have much left in the tank. And that's why we saw that shootout that we did where there were terrible penalties, keepers making saves, but a lot of them, as we've mentioned, were not great penalties. So, you know, Caroline Sager, oh my goodness. She had that chance to win it for Sweden and she just blazed over. You just couldn't help but be crushed for her. And and when she missed that, I know I thought, okay, maybe this just isn't Sweden's day. Yeah, I was watching the, the shootout with somebody and I literally said, 
before they'd given the penalty to anybody. Maybe I jinxed her, so if I did, I, I apologise, Caroline. But um, I said the one person that you would want on this sort of pressure moment to win Sweden a gold medal was Caroline Sager. Give her the ball and she'll get the job done. And she blazed it over the bar and I could not believe it. Like, I could actually could not believe it. And, yeah, I think, like I said, like, as it sort of went on, as time progressed, it was like, Canada are going to win this. Like, it was literally almost like it was written in the stars. Everything just seemed to sort of switch and the momentum was suddenly in their way and they were so close to losing this shootout so many times and they didn't. Yeah, just a word for Canada. Um, An incredible tournament for them. A huge accomplishment. Bev Priestman, still pretty new on the job, leads her team to their first Olympic gold medal. They... Struggled in attack all tournament. They failed to score from open play in the the knockout phase. They got penalties in regulation in back-to-back games from Jesse Fleming against the U.S. in the semis and then in the final. But a huge accomplishment for them nonetheless. And, of course, the headline has to be Christine Sinclair wins gold to probably cap off an unbelievable career that has seen her become the all-time top international goal scorer. Yeah, I'm very interested to see actually what her decision is now on her future. Uh, 38 years old, I mean, don't get much better than winning gold at the Olympics. I mean, you think if it was me, I would be like, I'm done, that's it, go on a high. I mean, she looks absolutely fine to continue and get another World Cup and even an Olympics in her maybe, but I think, yeah, like that is such a big moment and so many great players retire with like... You know, like Marta's going to retire most likely without a gold medal, and it's so great when a player's waited so long and had such a long career and not won that one thing that they want to win. They want to win a trophy with their country. It's so great when when they finally get to do it and absolutely made up for Christine Sinclair. Yeah, and for Sweden, just pure heartbreak. Uh, they were the best team at this tournament, without a doubt. And they had so many chances to win this game in regulation. They had a chance to win in the shootout and they couldn't get it done. On one hand, you have to imagine that they will just never get a better chance to win a major tournament. On the other hand, they come out of this Olympics looking like one of, if not the best team in the world and a clear favorite moving forward, looking at the World Cup in two years. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how how everything comes on for them in the next two years. Obviously, somebody like Caroline Sager's 36. How sh- what's she going to be looking like in two years' time? Is she going to, you know, she's still one that you could talk about. Will she retire or will she, you know, after the sort of heartbreak of today, is she going to be thinking, no, nah, I can't retire on that note? But they have a lot of really bright young players. They've got players signing for some of the biggest clubs in the world. They have a really bright future and it's going to be interesting to see how they look in two years' time and the progress that they've made in the five years since Rio. Like, they keep on this sort of ascendancy, then, yeah, they reached the semi-finals in 2019. They could they could easily go one better, I think, in two years' time. Yeah, Sweden takes the silver at the Olympics in 2016. They finish third at the World Cup in 2019. They take the silver again in 2021 at the Olympics. You have to say, moving forward, it might be their time in 2023, but we will have to wait and see. That is going to do it for our show today. That is going to do it for the Olympics, but we aren't quite done. We will be back 
with Hope Solo once again on our next episode, wrapping up the Olympics from a U.S. standpoint and throwing it forward, looking ahead to the next cycle as we move ahead towards 2023. Thank you once again for listening to all of us. Thank you, Amy, and we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL on Goal.